Happy Monday! On today's episode of the Living Easy Podcast, I am talking with psychotherapist Sarah Kubrick about boundaries in relationships. So not only are we talking about how to have healthy adult friendships and how to find a sense of personal identity in your marriage, we're also talking about what it's like to have boundaries with yourself and to be really self-aware for the sake of your mental health. We are also discussing why we act the way that we do around our parents and during the holidays, why we may feel so uncomfortable in our own skin and how to prevent that with our own children. And then we're, and then we're also addressing what it means to respond rather than react. And Sarah shares a lot of great tips for responding well. So if you want to nurture your relationships and figure out where boundaries need to be created, this is the perfect topic for you. And we're talking also about self-love, which I think we all need a little bit more of sometimes. So let's jump in to this conversation with therapist Sarah Kubrick. Hey friends, we were never promised that life would be easy. Sometimes it is hard and super crazy, but when we do life together, we find that it becomes a lot easier and much more fun. I believe in joyful life, in happy parenting, healthy marriages, long lasting friendships, and making perfect memories in imperfect homes. I love to dig deep and talk about the really raw things that people are not always comfortable discussing. And I'm also passionate about sharing practical tips that have helped me to help you navigate through life less stressfully and more purposefully. We will laugh together and struggle together. You will hear honest insights on strengthening your faith and your marriage, parenthood, how to's, and so much more so that you can live life and live it with joy. I am Lindsay Maestas. Welcome to the Living Easy Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Living Easy Podcast. I am so excited about today's interview. I am here with psychotherapist Sarah Kubrick. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on here. Oh, of course. And Sarah is an existential therapist, raising awareness and writing about what it means to be human. So Sarah, I found you via Instagram because you have one, a massive following, but two, you have such helpful content and practical content. And it's funny because every time I go back to your page, I see more and more of my own personal friends following you (laughs) because your (laughs) stuff is so, it's just so good. Can you talk a little bit about how you got started in the Instagram world and also what drew you into psychotherapy? Yeah, of course. Um, It's always nice to hear that people are resonating with the content. And I think that's one of the reasons why I started my Instagram account. I just wanted to find a way that I can serve more people at the same time, that I can provide psychoeducation. And although Instagram can never replace therapy itself, Mm -hmm. there's just so much need and there's so much information that I have, you know, walking out of grad school that's just not readily accessible to people. And I do think that awareness is half the battle. And so one of, I guess projects that I wanted to start was just bringing awareness to people and sharing psychoeducation. And this is how Instagram came to be, because it just seemed like the most appropriate social media platform to do that. Do you feel like the stigma of therapy has lessened, like, or the stigma around therapy has lessened? Do you feel like people are more willing and more open to it in our generation than compared to past generations? I do. I really think that 
it's a slow process. I wouldn't say that it's not stigmatized anymore, but I would say that it has drastically changed even in the last couple of years. Now we have to be aware of the cultural differences. And yes, it's becoming less stigmatized in North America, but that doesn't mean it's becoming less stigmatized in the Middle East. Mm. So I think for North America, it definitely is. And I do think that Instagram has played a large part in that. Yeah, I would agree. That's cool. And you were just in the Middle East, right? Yeah, I spent quite a bit of my year in the Middle East um, and will probably be doing so this year as well. So I'm located primarily in Jordan. And so that's been a really amazing experience for me. Why do you go there, if you don't mind me asking? Like, what do you do? Is it Do you do therapy while you're out there? Um, so I run an online prior practice. Uh, so I don't actually see people there in person. I do conduct research there, and my partner is located there for work at the moment. Wow. Um, but, but it's pretty incredible to get to learn about different cultures. and. Um, I was going to say, you're so well-traveled. <laughs> it's yeah. so awesome. And you're not even traveling. You get to like stay there. So that's super cool. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, so I want to dive in because one of the things I really love reading about on your Instagram are relationships and boundaries in relationships. Mm. And I feel like you address such a wide variety of relationship scenarios on the account. And one thing that I see you mention regularly is creating that structure, creating those boundaries. So can you share a few scenarios in which someone would need to create boundaries in a relationship? And I totally understand because this is just who I am that I have loaded questions and they're really <laughs> big questions. So um, just whatever you can think off the top of your head in a father-daughter relationship, in a spouse relationship, where do boundaries need to come in? This is such a great question. But it's totally loaded. Um, yeah, <laughs> my, my answer is always every scenario needs a boundary. There is no scenario I can think of that wouldn't need a boundary. Um, mm -hmm. Those boundaries will definitely change depending on your context. So, for example, um, obviously the boundary you have with your romantic partner might vary from the boundaries you have with your family during the holidays. Um, but I think that some of the most important boundaries are actually personal boundaries that you have with yourself. And then they will evolve and um, kind of manifesting the boundaries you have with other people. But unless we know how to set appropriate boundaries with ourselves, chances are we're not going to know how to do it with others. That's good. And what does that look like to create boundaries within ourselves? Mm -hmm. I think it's a way of protecting our identity or autonomy and then that relationship. So for example, saying no when we're tired and busy and burnt out, not drinking when we're sad so that we have the ability to learn how to self-regulate and cope in a healthy, productive way, limit time on social media, um, not you know take on more than we can manage, not morph into someone else if that is what the context is appears to be requiring of us. So really staying true to ourselves and having those boundaries that show us, I love you, I protect you, and I will take care of you. And I think that that's a really important thing. And that's not how we frame boundaries usually. They seem really standoffish, very isolating, but I think boundaries are almost like a love language. You mentioned morphing into someone else, and I, I feel like that is something that I have been really working on this past year because one, my personality type, just when I'm in specific scenarios and somebody makes me feel uncomfortable, I kind of try to adjust to make the room mm -hmm. more comfortable. My husband yeah. always jokes that 
like I can't handle silence because I'm worried about other people's comfort. And when I host gatherings, I'm like, do you think they're okay? They're not talking to anyone. And so then I'm like, hey, you know, and I, instead of enjoying myself and really allowing other people to just be, Mm. I morph to try to make things more comfortable for other people. And I think a lot of us, you mentioned the holidays. And do you agree that people, maybe when they get back around their families, they have these walls up or this maybe just reservations about who they are. And so therefore they're afraid to show their family who they are? Oh, absolutely. I I think the holidays are such a confusing time because you're trying so hard to maintain your identity that you have now built apart from your family for the most, you know, in most cases and scenarios Mm -hmm. because you moved out. And so when you come back, you're protecting this um, sense of self, particularly if your family, you know, wouldn't quote unquote approve of who you become. But at the same time, I think what often happens is think about hanging out with a family member you haven't seen in a while, or maybe like a high school friend, you almost revert back to a state Mm. in which you last saw them, or you had the most contact with them. And I see so many adults acting like children when they go to, you know, a holiday party with their family, because they revert back to their teenage years, which is generally the last time they've lived with their parents. And so I think it's trying to protect themselves from their family. But I also think that there is this inner tension that's not spoken about where people psychologically almost revert back to that age. And then they're going, wait, no, like crap. No, actually, I'm I'm an adult. (laughs) And, And all the ways that they used to cope in their family system and the role they had in the family system, they almost get sucked back into it. Mm. Um, just because it's a behavioral pattern and now they're trying to break free of that. Um, so I think that there's just so much going on and high stress, um, obviously that comes with the season. So I, I think it's a very tense time for a lot of people. What can we do as parents? Because immediately when you say those things, I think I don't want that to be my children. I don't want that to happen to my children and have them feel that they can't be themselves around me. So mm-hmm. for moms, I have a lot of mom listeners. For moms with young children, how can we avoid the fear of our children being themselves in front of us? How can we foster and nurture that self-autonomy, that self-independence so that they do feel comfortable in our home and around us as parents? Oh, that's such a wonderful question. Um, I think that what's really important is for the child to feel accepted while they explore their identity, mm-hmm. while they're, they explore their autonomy. And this is not something that happens as children. It also happens, obviously, as a teenager. And I think nurturing that re- that relationship with love and acceptance will then help the child perhaps keep you posted as they're evolving and changing, perhaps send you a text when they're in college and high school. Mm -hmm. And I think the issue is when parents lose touch with their kid as their kid is gaining autonomy, which is generally around high school, college years. And so that's when there is a big disconnect. And I think as long as the relationship is being nurtured throughout the child will see you as part of their growing process, as part of their evolving process, and you won't be the entity outside of their world. You will mm. be a part of it. And I think that that's one really important thing. I think the childhood age is obviously elementary child um, age, and 
toddlers and all this, there's so much significance with that, with the attachment theory. And I think that's what parents usually think about. But I think just finding a role that will be evolving in your child's life as they grow will help you be a part of the process instead of outside of it and the comfort level and will be very, very wildly different. Hmm. Yeah, I have been watching a lot of things. I mean, we have so much access now with the internet um, that I've been watching a lot of parenting things. And it's so hard because so many people have different opinions of how Mm -hmm. things need to be done. But what it always seems to tie back to is love, acceptance, Mm -hmm. communication, just like you said, like really staying in touch with our children and that it doesn't end when they go off to middle school. Like that is, it's such an important time. And I think at that point you think, well, they're already who they are. For me, at least in middle school, high school, there was this independence given that maybe I wasn't Mm. quite ready for that has helped to frame. So that's just, it's really insightful. So thank you for sharing on that. I want to talk a little bit about friendships. Friendships Mm -hmm. as adults, we hear can be so challenging and so difficult because we have busy lives and everything going on. And so can you discuss healthy versus unhealthy friendships and how we can be aware of unhealthy relationship dynamics when we are really deeply involved with that person, especially friends we've known for long periods of time, how can we set boundaries so that we can maintain these healthy relationships? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think whenever I'm asked about what is a healthy relationship, I always take it back to how it's impacting the relationship you have with yourself. So if the friendship still allows you to have a meaningful relationship with yourself, then I would say it's a healthy relationship. If it doesn't, I would say maybe it's time for you to reevaluate that friendship or that relationship. Hmm. I think that healthy relationships have space for vulnerability. I think that in them there's active growth and healing separately and together um, as friends or as partners. Um, I think there is very clear boundaries, and I'm not saying these boundaries don't evolve in any way, because obviously if you were friends with someone when you were 10 and now you're 40, those boundaries would have changed and adjusted to serve the context. I think there's, you know, freedom of self-expression and exploration. And I think that both individuals take responsibility and they actively choose to be friends or actively choose their partner on a daily basis. I don't think that a healthy relationship is something that we fall into by accident. Um, At least we don't maintain it by accident. Mm. I think it's something that's very, very active that way. And so that's kind of how I see a healthy relationship And I think one of the best ways to maintain one or build one is to really stay attuned to ourselves, um, to watch out how it affects our relationship with who we are, to check in, to say, okay, how do I feel having this conversation? What is my body language? What is the theme of this relationship for the past month? Um, And just be really honest with yourself that way. And so I think it takes a lot of reflection for us to know how it's impacting us, what adjustments need to be made, and if we still need to be in it. That's so good. And as you talk about caring for ourselves and loving ourselves, some people might think, I don't even know what that looks like. What does that look like to be self-aware? What does it look like to care for ourselves in the best way so that we know how we can best love the people around us? Mm -hmm. I always say that the principle of self-love, self-care, the relationship with the self is the same as with anybody else. And that makes it pretty easy. Think about Mm -hmm. communication. (laughs) We need to communicate with ourselves. We need to be honest with ourselves. 
We need to be open. We need to be curious. So I think all those principles apply and self-awareness and self-care boils down to being really intentional and spending the time on nurturing that relationship because Mm. it's not going to come naturally. We just assume I am me, therefore (laughs) I must have a relationship with myself. And to some extent, that's not necessarily true. And so I think we really, really need to be intentional about nurturing that particular relationship. And then, as I said, it's all the same things you would do with someone else, all the same principles. You just apply it to you. Yeah. I actually had a day yesterday where it was my first rest day in months, honestly. I've been working and then I'm a mom of two boys. And so I just have not had a chance to sit. And so yesterday, even though I felt so guilty, which I should not feel guilty for taking time for myself, I just sat and I read and I journaled and I realized in just in that short four hours, I was mm-hmm. able to reflect on so many things that I want to do better, um, on so many things that I feel like God has done in my life and the mm-hmm. things that I want to pour into my children and just so many. And I realized like I haven't even had a second or given myself a second and been intentional about it to sit down and reflect. And that reflection brings out so much joy and also so, I guess, so much health because Mm -hmm. in the health, I am able to see my children more clearly. I'm able to see my husband more clearly. I'm able to see myself, my needs more clearly. And I was also able to brainstorm and create a vision board for what I want for the future. And I realized instead of just feeling constantly so bogged down because I took that time, it gave me clarity. And I did. I felt like just this sense of peace, you know? And so I just fully agree with what you're saying, (laughs) that it's so needed for us, especially for the sake of our mental health and for the sake of our relationships. Oh, absolutely. It is so difficult to do without. I think burnout is high. Emotional exhaustion Mm -hmm. is high. Difficulties in relationships. I mean, it's just, it impacts us in every possible way. And how I look at it always is when you're on flights and they say, put your own ma- oxygen mask first, yes. then help those around you. Like that's maybe the corniest, but also the most applicable <laughs> thing when it comes to mental health. It's genuinely, you can't help others unless you are in a place where you can handle it and where you have health and wellness for yourself. And obviously that's never like a goal that you can just check and be like, now I have ultimate health and wellness, but towards and you're taking care of yourself and also as a mental health professional taking care of myself is such a huge part of my job so it's something that I also try to practice and not just preach Mm, yeah that's so I love that comparison the mask because even when I hear that on the planes my immediate thought is like no especially with babies is like no you can't do that but then when you logically think it through you realize no but I truly can't be helpful to them unless I'm taking care of myself. And I think it's the same with people. A lot of the time we're like, no, I can't. I have too much to do. I have too much on my Mm -hmm. plate. People need me. And then you crash and burn because you're so overwhelmed. So that's a really great example. So in my past, personally, I have allowed Mm -hmm. the reality of my relationships to be clouded by my lack of self-awareness or my unwillingness to be honest with myself about the true state of the relationship. Mm. So can you maybe give some examples on 
what it means. I think specifically in parent-child relationships, mm. when we're so accustomed to what it is that we don't know anything else, how can we be self-aware of these things? How can we be aware of the relationship dynamic without being without having some sort of fog because we're so used to it being that way? Yeah, that's that's also another great question. You're just asking the best questions. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Again, I think it goes down to intention and it goes down, it comes down to you being willing to see it. Denial is powerful and it helps us cope. So coming to a place where you feel like I can handle seeing the truth, you know, it, it goes down to, am I in a relationship with myself where I can handle seeing the truth? So mm. it's, that is so, so important. Then checking in with yourself instead of just going through the motions, being really intentional and going, I had this conversation with my daughter or with my son, and this is how it left me feeling. What does that mean? I saw her body language. What does that mean? And I'm not saying you should psychoanalyze your own child, but just re be really, really present in the moment of how each person is experiencing it, primarily yourself, because that's what you know, and then asking your child how they're experiencing a conflict you may have had or a curfew that you just enforced. And so being really curious and intentional, I think is important, but also having that self-safety that you can handle seeing the truth. Um, the next step, and I think we all need perspective is really finding people you trust and listening to how they speak about your relationship with your kid or with your husband or with your boyfriend. It's great to have people that can reflect to us or, or even just show us how they perceive it. And obviously it's their perception and there's projection in there, but that can also speak to us. You know, if everyone thinks that the way you treat your child is inappropriate, Maybe it'll just get you to stop for a second and go, huh, maybe I shouldn't have grounded the kid when they did X, Y, and Z. Um, and so I think that having people around us that we trust and love and respect and having them give us some feedback, constructive feedback, obviously, and asking for this constructive feedback is so great because most people are obviously not going to walk around telling you what you're doing wrong. And if they are, then maybe they're not the people you want to have. <laughs> <laughs> back from but you know not being scared to ask people or saying you know Johnny did this what what would you do you know you parented two boys um and so just having that humility about it and I think with any relationship having humility to always learn and grow and and get feedback is just so incredibly important mm. I would say some of the most growth I have ever had in my marriage has come from people being willing to speak in. And mm -hmm. a lot of the time, like you said, is us asking, hey, mm -hmm. just kind of watch us. You know, what do you see? How can we love one another better? How can we, especially my husband and I, how can we serve one another better? What do you see in these? And the truths are usually pretty hard truths that I do oh, not yeah. want to hear. <laughs> and I, yeah. I immediately regret asking them. But then over time, I realize, no, I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for their insight and willing because they see things, people on the outside see things so much more clearly and so much differently than we see because we're in the thick of it every single day, all day long. Yes. Um, and, and it doesn't mean that they have it all together either. It just mm -hmm. means they can see the problems. And so that I, I strongly agree with you. I feel like that is so, so beneficial. Um, and I do the same even with other moms. Like, hey, will you come hang out with me for a day and help me figure out how to handle this? Like, what would you do in this situation? Wow. And I think it 
it helps me to step back. I mean, honestly, it's just because I have amazing people in my life who Mm. have just shown me how to do that, but it's taught me a lot. It's taught me to step back. And so you have spoken before about self-betrayal. I don't fully understand that term. So can you share a few ways that someone might begin compromising the relationships they have with themselves? Like what is self-betrayal and how can we overcome that? Yeah, absolutely. I think examples are such a great way to describe it um, because the definition itself might not give you too, too much besides the term itself. Um, But, you know, it's, it's violating really important aspects of yourself, such as your values or your beliefs or your morals. And some of the ways we do that is by not setting or keeping boundaries or letting others transgress our boundaries by the way they treat us. For example, I've done a lot of research in domestic violence um, and infidelity. And it's interesting because even the victims sometimes feel like they have self-betrayal because they didn't speak up because they allowed others to transgress their you know, boundaries. And then also the perpetrator, for example, of infidelity will feel the same because they transgress their own boundaries for the most part. And so it's, a, it's an interesting term because I think it's so human of us yeah. <laughs> to, to betray those fundamental things. And I think the issue is that we're, we're mostly not aware that we're doing it. Uh, especially because this term, for example, a lot of people didn't know about it and were so curious about it on Instagram. And I thought to myself, wow, this is something that is really not spoken about, yet we all do it on almost a monthly basis, if not a daily basis. So not keeping or setting our boundaries, um, acting, for example, in a way our partner wants us to, but it's not authentic to us. Hmm. And yes, when we want to say no, staying in a relationship longer than we need to for our own mental health, uh, violating our beliefs. And so it's anything that's transgressing essentially who we are authentically. Hmm. Okay. So in spouse, really, in relationships with spouses, with boyfriends, wives, Mm -hmm. husbands, especially if you're in a marriage relationship and you find Mm -hmm. yourself not being authentic because that is somebody that you are just accustomed. It's almost like you kind of grow off of one another. Like you you assimilate to their customs, you assimilate to their patterns and habits a little bit. So what would be encouragement in like, how do you step back from that to reevaluate yourself? Yeah. And I think this this is where spending time apart from your partner, having your own separate friends for certain activities, uh, going to your own, you know, personal therapy sessions, journaling by yourself, that is really, really important. I think what happens is we kind of morph into our partners. Okay. It almost becomes borderline codependent. Mm-hmm. And we start to lose that sense of identity outside of that relationship, outside that marriage. And to some extent, I, I think that can be quite detrimental because we're still an autonomous human being that is now in a partnership creating something beautiful. Yeah. But we are not now our partner. Mm. And so I think that striving to always be aware of who am I, because if you can't answer that question, then you're not going to know when you're betraying yourself. Mm. This is a bit existential. I can't help it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. I love this stuff. Um, I get so interested by it all. (laughs) So in reality, it's really maintaining that sense of identity. And I always think of our relationship as there's you, there's them, and then there's the entity of the relationships. It's almost a three-part interaction dynamic. And so just making sure that you're not losing that sense of autonomy and identity by yourself, because then you're not going to be able to detect when things are being transgressed, because 
there's going to be a pattern, there's going to be a habit, and you're just going to think it's normal. And I think some couples tend to trigger each other more than others. But I think being protective of that is so important. And some people don't like it when I say that because like, it sounds like a threat. And why do I need to be protective when I'm in a relationship? Mm. And you know, it's not a bad thing. It's it's a very healthy thing and it will help the relationship. It will help your partner because there's going to be clarity for you and for them. Yeah. I think another thing too, I fully agree with you because I think what I have seen, we've been married for almost eight years. And one thing oh, that has taken me time. Oh, thank <laughs> you. One thing that's taken me time is to support his hobbies and interests mm. because they weren't my hobbies and interests. Mm. And so I selfishly didn't want him to do things without me. I'm very much like I if I could hang out with him all day, every single day, <laughs> every second, I would. I am I just I love my time with him, but he really needs his alone time. Like mm. I've learned that about him. I think in the past year we have been encouraged by others in our lives like to really support one another's interests and values and to allow us to have that separate space a little bit and mm-hmm. it's it's really grown us i think it has helped us a lot also in our communication because now we have a lot of different things to talk about. Like he's really like a researcher and a reader. And, and so I get to pick his brain and hear what he's learning about. You know what I mean? So it creates this conversation that even though we are doing these things separately, it's given us the opportunity to come together and still have that communication about what interests him. And I can listen. And sometimes I don't fully love it, but I, I choose to care, you know, like I may not be really interested in what he's saying, but he's interested in what he's saying. And so therefore I want to be interested and listen and care. And so I think that helps as well in just supporting one another's like individual interests and allowing them to thrive in that and allowing them to pursue those things and not always having to be apart. Oh, absolutely. And I really think he nurtures intimacy. Mm. because you're getting almost like a more in-depth understanding of them it's not it's more dimensional it's it's more holistic you're not just seeing them as your partner or or in that sort of context or dynamic you're now kind of learning what your husband's like when it comes to research how he approaches it how he thinks about it what things interest him to research for example and i think those are some things that we end up not knowing about our partner sometimes because we're not giving them freedom to for them to explore it themselves. So they can't even tell us or we just don't want to hear it. And so I think it's super hard to sometimes watch your partner like do things that you can't be a part of or <laughs> yeah. don't want to be a part of. But I also think it's so wonderful because they're still then growing and evolving and you get to witness that. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things we can do for one another. So I want to backtrack as my last question um, Mm -hmm. to kind of the holidays. And you talked about how we sometimes will react in a certain way. And I think reacting is such Mm -hmm. a huge part of relationships, especially with text messaging at our fingertips. It's so easy to lash out when somebody frustrates and to just spew those words that maybe you wouldn't say or Facebook or just hard family relationships or a fight between spouses. I mean, it could be anything. What would be your encouragement to help us respond to one another Mm. instead of to react? Yeah, that's such a great question. I work on this a lot in therapy and 
I generally always talk about six steps to respond and not react uh, with my clients. And then also whenever I share kind of information about this on, you know, social media, but I think some of the most important, one of the most important things to do is to pause. The power of pause is incredible. Just getting yourself out of that impulse and allowing maybe even your, you know, nervous system to calm down for a second, take a deep breath, take a pause that can really help reframe the situation a little bit. It also prevents us from genuinely just reacting without thinking. Um, yeah. <laughs> then I think it's super, super important, uh, important to identify our feelings and thoughts. So reactions are generally insecurities, fears, past traumas coming out. They're not necessarily feelings and thoughts we're having in the present moment those thoughts get kind of overshadowed. And so what's important is to go, okay, what am I feeling? Okay, I'm feeling really hurt. And what am I thinking? Okay, I'm thinking, you know, that person wants to leave me or abandon me. Okay, now I understand what I'm actually trying to communicate. Um, And then instead of like throwing accusations or blaming the person, then I think it's really important to obviously recognize your trigger if you can. Um, This takes some self-awareness of going, okay, well, I've had this happen in the last relationship. So them saying this is a really massive trigger and I'm having a hard time regulating and like responding in a respectful way Um, and validating your experience. Like if this is a crappy experience, it's okay to say that and to validate yourself because then we're not going to be saying things just to get validation from the other person. Hmm. If that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really important step um, in responding is it kind of changes your intention with it, which also leads me to my next point is saying before I speak and say what I want to say, what is my intention behind this? Hmm. Am I trying to increase awareness and intimacy and connection? Or am I trying to hurt the other person? Am I trying to justify what I'm doing? And so being aware of that is so crucial. um, Because ultimately, what we want, I think, in responding is to have our words accurately reflect who we are, and our boundaries, and our needs, um, so that it can evolve the relationship instead of well, either dissolve it or damage it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Those are really good and really helpful. I I just think that's a universal issue. I mean, unless you are so composed and amazing, which if you are, I just kudos to you. But for me, like (laughs) I I consider myself relatively calm, but there are some relationships Mm. where one misstep and I am like, I lose my cool. And it frustrates me because it makes me think, oh my gosh, is this really deep down who I still am? I feel like I've grown so much, but I completely mm-hmm. agree, like the triggers. And then I loved what you said about the validation. Like you're you're seeking that validation from someone else. And so when you're not receiving it, it's almost like that, that anger and the resentment, it builds back up and allows you to lash out in the wrong way. So yeah. this is so insightful. I could talk to you for hours, Sarah. I appreciate <laughs> you so much. Um, can you... Can you talk a little bit about your guided journal? Sure. Yeah. So the guided journal I put together a couple months ago, and it's a 30-day journal that gives daily thoughts and reflections um, and reflection questions, sorry, for individuals to engage with. So the whole premise of the journal is to help us reconnect with ourselves and to gain that self-awareness that, um, you know, we spoke about so much during this um, 
podcast. Yeah. But I, I just feel that that's one thing that we're really lacking. And it's, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not easy for me. Like this is not, this <laughs> is something that takes so much of intention and time. And so I thought, what is one way that I can make that a bit easier for people? Um, and so then this journal came to mind. And, you know, I explore topics such as self-betrayal and negative self-talk and boundaries and self-honesty and self-trust. Um, and so it's just a, um, yeah, a daily journal that you can do, reflect on, write, take it to therapy with you if you want to, if something yeah. comes up for you. Um, and it's just a fun way to keep yourself accountable, keep that daily promise and spend some time with yourself on a daily basis. Awesome. And where can our listeners find it? Yeah. So you can get this journal on my website and it's just under journals. It's a tab. Okay. <laughs> so- <laughs> It's pretty, pretty accessible, and uh, that's the only place that I am selling it. And um, I think there's also a link on my Instagram account that would take you there as well. Perfect. And you guys can find Sarah at millennial.therapist on Instagram. So make sure to check her out, follow along with her. And then if you have any questions for her, feel free to reach out or you can comment on her posts. All of her posts, you guys are so informative. They're so helpful. They're quick. They're brief. They're practical. So I know that you will love her. I know that you guys probably loved this interview as well. So we hope to have you on again at some point, Sarah, but thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. This was so great. I really appreciate your insightful questions and it was just a pleasure to talk to you. You too. If you enjoyed this episode, the best thank you you could ever offer is to share the love. The simple act of taking a quick screenshot of the episode and tagging at Living Easy Podcast makes such a huge difference in this journey. If you're impacted, someone else might be too. So don't hesitate to share a little hope and joy with the people that you love. Also, if you haven't already, please do scroll down from this episode to give a star rating and quick review for the podcast. It only takes a minute, but the impact is huge. Thank you all so much for your support. Feel free to connect with me on Instagram at livingeasypodcast and at lindsay.maestas. Love you guys.